0: Hello, and happy Pride Month to everyone out there. You're tuned in to KCSBFM 91.9 in Santa Barbara. I'm Daniel Lucias, and welcome back to our limited series, Pride of Place Santa Barbara, where we intimately explore the history and lived experiences of Santa Barbara's LGBTQ community. For the entirety of Pride Month, new episodes will air every Thursday on KCSBFM 91.9 at 5 p.m. and will be released on our streaming platforms later Thursday evening wherever you get your podcasts for more information on this series and for episodes that have already aired visit kcsb.org pride-of-place that's kcsb.org pride-of-place there you will find links to our premiere episode just in case you missed it stay tuned for episode two It is a known fact that reading is fundamental and knowledge is power. In this episode, we highlight the scholars and students aiming to make Santa Barbara's educational spaces a more inclusive center for learning in and outside of the classroom. Let's turn the page forward. Amidst a flurry of legislation targeting LGBTQ literature throughout the country, action toward more inclusive education is present here in Santa Barbara. Miss Angel, who you may know as Angel Dimon is an author and educator working to teach children and parents alike the fundamentals of being a kind human through their drag queen story hours. With a background in education, for Miss Angel, school has always been in session.
1: I graduated college twelve years ago, and uh, I worked in a, just an office, and mm-hmm. it wasn't my thing. And I applied for an after-school program out of school, and I got hired and. It was just awesome. The kids were fantastic. So I applied for a a position at the school and I first started off in in special ed. I did that for a year. It it just wasn't my thing. Um, Mm -hmm. You know how some people would just work with older kids, some work with younger kids, and some people work in special ed. You just find your niche. And Mm -hmm. I was grabbed and pulled into kindergarten land, as they call it. And it was just beautiful. I loved it so much. I've learned so much about these kids. I've learned Mm. about myself because of these kids Mm. and to be greeted by 25 little hugs. No one can say they have that the moment they go to work. I've learned that these children are so young and innocent and willing to learn. They are little sponges. And I feel it's very important that the kindergarten teacher teaches social emotional learning that I feel that's very important. Academics for me in kindergarten, academics come third. We're teaching them how to be kind humans first. And once they're kind humans, once they have a sense of belonging, once they have a comfortable classroom environment, then they can start growing.
0: Angel continues to tell the origin story of digital drag queen story hours. Explaining the initial intention was for parents to learn throughout the pandemic as a means to teach their children.
1: Storytime is something that is really, really close to my heart. And my storytime as Angel wouldn't be as successful as it is today if I didn't teach kindergarten. The parents are shocked that they're, they're... And these children are younger than kindergartners. They're like two, three, four years old. And the fact that they can sit there do activities and listen to somebody read books for a full, complete hour without getting up and running around or wanting to leave, that by itself is a superpower. And I wouldn't have that superpower if I didn't have my background in education. Originally, when I started my story time on social media, it was meant for adults because we were going through a time of the world being very unkind. We, We still are at that age. But it was meant for adults because children's books have such a beautiful message, a big concept shrunken down to where a mind of a five-year-old child can understand. And if adults cannot understand that, then we just found our issue. And that's where I started, and it wasn't until the parents of the people on my social media platforms started showing this to the children and they're like, hey, my children really enjoy it. So I started tailoring my book selections to have it be for children and their parents. So whenever you come to a story time with Miss Angel, it's not just for the child, it's also for the parents. I have them participate. I have them like make animal noises with their children.
0: <laughs> As Angel's events transitioned from online to in-person, they face backlash from a small sect of community members here in Santa Barbara.
1: My first in-person events were fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> they were really good. A lot of people wanted to come out. They were tired of being home and they wanted to bring their children out. And it was, it was very successful. We had a little bit of pushback, to be honest, from mm-hmm. some higher ups, if you must, in Santa Barbara, yeah, because they just have this preconceived idea of the LGBTQ community and what we do is just the, all stereotypes. And it wasn't until the moment where that person saw me do what I do and realized this person is an educated professional that knows what they're doing. Yeah. That just happens to be gay. So from there, it just kind of totally changed dynamics. I did my story time as best as I could possibly do. Mm -hmm. And my thing is, this is how I educate adults. And if you have a stereotype of what I do or... Of the LGBTQ community, I want you to come into my classroom, watch me Mm. teach and tell me I'm not qualified. Come into my story time, listen to my stories, listen to the message and tell me if that's something that you don't agree with. Because all of my story times are all about inclusion, acceptance, love, and kindness. Who disagrees with teaching kids to be kind to every single person that they meet? Those people are the ones that actually need my story time. So I encourage yeah. them, please come to my story time. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Throughout their time as an educator and storyteller, Angel noticed a lack of diversity in children's literature, taking her expertise in education and lending it to authorship.
1: I think a lot of it came from frustration, to be honest. Like, um, the queer community, we, we don't have these books. Having that education background and reading these books the, the, they're, they're targeted for kindergarten to third grade, right? So when you think of a kindergartner, they don't understand large concepts because developmentally they're not there yet because I teach English, I teach writing, I teach math and some of the kids don't know what before and after is. It's, it's really hard to give big terms (laughs) to a five-year-old brain and expect them to understand that because then you're turning the responsibility onto the parent that is now going to explain these terms to the to the child. And oh, to be honest, not a lot of adults feel comfortable doing that or even know how to do that. So from there, I teamed up with an author, Michael Tyler, which um, wrote the book, The Skin You Live In, which is one of my staples for each story time. And using my background and, um, and his background, we created a book that can be understood by children and adults um, down to the font. Because when a child reads a book, some of the letters that are in different fonts, they look completely different. So when children see that, they sometimes if they're just new readers, they'll get discouraged and say, I can't read. I see it all the time. But when it's in a font that they're used to, it just builds them up and they're able to read and be empowered. Like I know how to read and it's a positive message. So it's all kind of tied in there. And I based it around a lot of social emotional curriculum, Mm -hmm. so it could be used in schools. It is not available right now. We're still, we're still looking for the right publisher. We've had lots of meetings with different publishing houses and they want to change the vision because it didn't fit their lane. But working with this author, I've learned how to be patient. And I've learned that if we're patient, we will get what we, what we want and that there is going to create a different world for these children. In Santa Barbara, and I would say in education itself, I really want the LGBTQ community and the POC community to finally see themselves represented in children's literature and curriculum in schools. Because if I would have seen Latinx children portrayed in stories, I would have related so much more. And just, just having these children learn to be kind humans, I it, I know it's very broad, but that is what my my goal is, to give a voice to the the children that never had a voice and encouraging them to stand up for themselves, live their authentic life, and be kind. That's
0: it. If there's one concept that you've taught to children that you would like adults to remember or be reminded of, what would that concept be? Oh, just one, because the way I choose my children's books are
1: based off of five or six core values that I hold to myself. Number one is empathy, which Mm -hmm. deals with compassion and kindness. Number two is advocacy, which is service and engagement. Number three is very important, is growth mindset, development, and determination. Number four would be excellence, so integrity and leadership. Mm -hmm. Five is inclusion, acceptance and fairness. And my number six would be responsibility. So it would be accountability and dependability. Teaching all of these values through children's literature, putting them all together, you were just lifelong learners. And if we do that, we can just create a more equitable world, a more kind world, inclusive to
0: everyone. The fight for inclusivity in educational spaces can be found at every level. Here at UC Santa Barbara, campus organizations such as the Associated Students Trans and Queer Commission seek to provide security and safety to LGBTQ students, believing that education, representation, and community work can combat oppression and lead to the safety and comfort of all people.
2: Yeah, so um, Trans and Queer Commission started in 2007. We're a formal group under AS, Associated Students, and we provide funding and advocate for trans and queer students um, and their communities on campus. We get a lock-in fee every year, so we get student fees for us, which grants us a pretty large budget. We actually just got reaffirmed for our lock-in fee this year during elections. What that means is we get student fees um, go directly to our budget, and then we use that budget to um, support queer and trans people on campus. We make our own events. A lot of that budget goes towards Pride. I would say we're probably the largest trans and queer-specific org um, that like funds lots of people on campus. So.
0: That's Julia Bielenberg, UCSB student and vice co-chair of the TQ Commission. Julia, along with the rest of the commission, provides space through events, such as Pride Week.
2: We would do it during um, Pride Month. It's just that June 1st is like week 10. (laughs) So um, it's kind of hard to get people to come out and, uh, you know, be in community and celebrate these events when everyone is so stressed out. So we like to have, we have it um, week two of spring quarter. We have an event every single day of the week. Um, It usually falls in April. Those events are, you know, supposed to be um, so that we can be in community together. We have... um, as the vice co I was in charge of planning like the entire day of Pride Week, but we have our commission members who were each tasked with coming up with their own event. Our biggest events of the week um, were the fashion show and the drag show. Those are like our two main events that we work on.
0: Julia continues to explain the significance of LGBTQ plus student organizations on campus.
2: I think it's really important that um, university students know that they have a place on campus and that there is a formal organization that is advocating for them within like the university system. I think it's super important to have these spaces, especially coming, I mean, we're still in it, but coming to a place in the pandemic where we are being in person again. Specifically, I think like the context that we're in right now, it's super important to have these spaces because as we all know, we've been quarantining and we everyone had everyone had to go home. I mean it was like two years ago it was like okay everyone leave and everyone just left and if you didn't have a a safe space to go you know you might have had to go home and wear different clothes that you don't that you don't identify with or not be able to use the pronouns you want not be able to use the name you want um, and just having a lot of difficulties and I know that that's been the case for a lot of students unfortunately. So I think this year we really wanted to focus on creating these spaces where students could experience queer joy and spaces that weren't gatekept or weren't specific to, you know, 21 plus. Like, I think it's really important that freshmen can come to these events, because I know when I was a freshman, I went to drag show at the RCSGD. Like that was that's still one of the events that I remember a lot and how I made my friends and how I like coming into my careers and coming into my like own body was because of the events that people put on that I was able to go to and witness. And so I think that it's really important that we have these spaces for people, for especially the younger crowd of people who haven't had the privilege to be on campus for two years. And they haven't been able to experience campus life or the community we have here.
0: The work of student organizations is not without difficulty. Along with logistical preparations, students often bear the brunt of this work in the midst of coursework.
2: It's definitely a lot of work. It was uh, difficult this year. You know, I think this year was probably a little bit more difficult than some other years and hopefully more difficult than it will be in the future. Um, Kim and I really want to make sure that nobody else has to go through kind of what we had to go through this year. Um, And that's just because of the information loss during the pandemic. I mean, we... Barely, we got access to our TQCOM office that we share with Score, um, and we didn't get access to it until winter quarter. And when we walked in there, that thing was like a time capsule. I mean, there was like half-drank juice boxes boxes from like 2020, and it was like everyone had just picked up and left. And you know, there's computers in there that we don't know the passwords to, and they're just gone. Like, no, the, the people who did know them have graduated, and even if they knew them at the time, you know, they don't remember. And so. Kim and I had to do a lot of legwork on figuring out kind of how to do everything again from scratch. And so it definitely is really difficult and it is really difficult um, with studies and coursework. Working within the university system and like all of the legal things and the paperwork, that part was probably the most difficult. And then also finding spaces. It's hard, but I think the payoff was huge. Seeing the drag show like come to life at the end and like how amazing it was and how excited everybody was. Like we had a big group of people and even the queens that came and performed were like, this is one of the best shows that I've been in. Like because the crowd was so excited to be there and the crowd was so excited to see them. And seeing that like really made everything all of the work worth it. You get to see this space that like you've created that um people are connecting with others and like we had our jeopardy night and afterwards these people sat at a table together and I remember afterwards they all got together and they were exchanging phone numbers and they're like yeah we're bonded now like we had to go we have to go get dinner or something like that okay this is what we're doing this for like this is why why we're doing these events and this is why you know we're putting so much of this like hard work in is so that people can have that experience so that they can be in community with each other, and then meet other people. And
0: Julia emphasizes the importance of these spaces for trans and queer students, explaining these spaces are oftentimes the only places where LGBTQ plus students feel safe.
2: I've been very lucky with my time here at UCSB to find a group of friends um, that are predominantly queer. A lot of the spaces I do go to are either queer-friendly or queer-centered. You know, I do remember just... Um, Fall quarter walking home. Um, and I lived on Picasso Road and I took like a different route. And I was walking home, and um, so there was like a frat house which apparently had a gay frat member, and on the side of the house it was spray painted. Um, and so that was kind of like, oh, welcome back. But um, I have friends who have not been as lucky and have experienced you know real violence. From member like queerness. Um, So it's not all great all the time, but luckily, I think that a lot of the queer and trans folk here at UCSB have really created community with each other and we have, you know, spaces for ourselves. But like I said, you know, there are definitely pockets of Idle Vista that are not queer friendly.
0: For LGBTQ people, safety is often found through community representation from students, staff, and faculty. LGBTQ plus representation not only exists in campus student organizations, but also through UCSB curriculum, through the LGBTQ Studies minor housed in the Feminist Studies
3: Department. So we just celebrated our 15th year, um, and the minor really grew out of the will of the students. So this was around the same time that our lgbtq resource center on campus which we know as the rcsgd the resource center for uh, gender and sexual diversity and this was something that the students uh, really fought for and it found a home uh, in feminist studies and i believe around that time uh, professor lila roop was here and she was a very important uh, force behind that and of course all the faculty in feminist studies to really create a home for uh, queer, trans, and gender nonconforming students, issues, and culture. It's continued to exist on the will of the students. Um, And of course, whoever the director is at the time. um, Unfortunately, we're not given a lot of resources uh, from the university for the minor, so it really does depend on the blood, sweat, and tears of professors that are passionate uh, and invested Uh, in this topic and keeping that presence on campus, and then always and everywhere, uh, the waves of generations of students uh, that come to this campus. And we've always had uh, a really diverse and fierce uh, queer and trans community on campus, and that is no different in 2022.
0: That's Professor Jennifer ty Associate Professor and Director of the LGBTQ Studies Minor, Professor Tibergsi continues to explain an important caveat of the minor.
3: Back in 2017, um, the college uh, decided that the minor uh, was redundant with the feminist studies major, which shows you know, somewhat of a gross misunderstanding of what we do in queer and trans studies. Uh, in my opinion, there are no two disciplines that need to be in conversation more with each other than feminist studies and LGBTQ studies. And so while our home at Feminist Studies, uh, is very queer, uh, and trans savvy, not just friendly, um, the university, um, in the recent past has, you know, really hurt our numbers in a sense because a lot of our minors were from the Feminist Studies majors, not solely, but, um, they created a context for us in which, uh, minoring in the LGBTQ studies, uh, area, um, became impossible uh, for those who were also majoring in feminist studies. So the argument that we would in any way be redundant um, with feminist studies was, was very disappointing to me. That happened back in 2017. I will tell you that I will be on the faculty, faculty executive committee uh, next year, and I was uh, approached by, by them recently, and they are very interested in undoing that. So luckily I will have a seat at the table next year, but I will say that many of my colleagues across campus, especially those who are on the FEC, are already um, up to date on the need to reverse that decision. So we will be um, hopefully having that go through um, next year or in the year after. And I just feel bad for students who maybe had planned on that Um, And then as of 2017, I guess that generation has already graduated, but it was an issue that of course people come in and plan to be an LGBTQ studies minor. And then, you know, that decision um, took that away.
0: The significance of the minor has its root in the activism of students and faculty, an effort that Ty encourages to continue.
3: I would say it grew out of a moment of a lot of uh, activist fomentation on campus. And you know, it's a story that's very common to all of our um, smaller departments and in their initiatives, Black Studies, uh, Chicano, Chicana, and Chicanex Studies, um, Asian Am, uh, and, and well as Feminist Studies. So, yes, I see a part of a larger movement uh, to, to create, um, of course, intellectual spaces, but also spaces to have fun and conviviality where queer and trans folk can find each other for a variety of different reasons that are so important um, to all of us, but it's particularly college students um, as they navigate their, their four or five or however many years uh, through UCSB. And I will also say that I think it's really important in a town like Santa Barbara, which doesn't have that many queer spaces. So campus life, sometimes I say to my students in class, you know, this is the queerest moment that I will have all month. And, you know, that's that's somewhat sad, but it's also, you know, it speaks to the importance of the minor, uh, not just for students, but also for faculty and staff on campus. In my intro to LGBTQ studies class or in the queer theory I class I'm teaching, if you can gather in physical space, if that's possible for someone like you, it is so important that we continue to show up. You know, the history of the minor is a history of people showing up and if we stop doing that then the minor we will lose the minor um and this goes back to one of your earlier questions i know i'm not saying that everyone uh, in the administration or, or on a you know uh you know the higher ups at the university are against or opposed to the minor but i think that there's some apathy um and apathy itself can destroy when we're talking about marginalized experience when I first got here in 2015, you know, I was new on campus and uh, you still have a lot of energy, but, you know, that kind of newness, that freshness of being on campus. And I was was brought in to be the director of the LGBTQ Studies minor. And so I would find myself in a lot of new environments, talking to new people from administrators to staff to students to faculty. And I found that very few people knew that we existed Um, so I started a postcard campaign where I would you know go to highly trafficked uh, populated areas on campus and leave these postcards around uh, just so people would know that we even existed Um, because for someone outside the field like say a, a fellow faculty member in another department who doesn't work in queer and trans issues, but who may have queer and trans students in their classes, um, I wanted to make sure that those faculty members could tell those students, you know, there's a minor in LGBTQ studies that might be a nice complement to what you're doing in your home department, whether that be feminist studies or not. So without the work of something like this podcast that you all are putting together, um, it's part of the fight.
0: Thank you for listening to episode two of our limited series, Pride of Place Santa Barbara, Educational Connections. Episode three will air next Thursday, same time, same place, at 5 p.m. on KCSB FM 91.9. For more information on this series and for archived episodes, visit kcsb.org slash pride dash of dash place. That's kcsb.org slash pride dash of dash place. Our theme music for this series is Constant Disco and Groovy by Diala. A special thanks to the voices featured on this episode, Miss Angel, Julia Bielenberg, and Professor Jennifer Tyberksi. An additional thanks to KCSB News' Jackie Sedley and KCSB Publications Coordinator Shirley Wang for their work on this series. And the biggest thanks to you for listening. Remember, you have been listening to Pride of Place Santa Barbara right here on KCSB FM 91.9. Take care and take pride.